You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Hear God's word. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church family. My name is Camille Boyd, also known as Camille Number 1, and I'm a senior at St. Gertrude High School, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you today. Before we begin, let's pray. God, source of all light, by your word, give light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be opened. Clear out the things of this world that take away from the light of your truth. Amen. Over the past few weeks, we have been doing a sermon series called Come and See in the Book of John. John uses the phrase come and see to show us that God is an invitational God. God wants us to come to him and to experience his love through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And today we see somebody who comes to Jesus in a different way than the others we've talked about so far. And even though his coming and seeing Jesus is different, his life still ends up being changed for the better by Jesus. In this passage, we are introduced to a very important and in my opinion, largely underrated person in the Bible, Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee and a part of the Jewish ruling council. For those of you who don't know, a Pharisee is a member of an ancient Jewish sect. 
The name Pharisee directly translates to separated one, which is fitting because the Pharisees literally separated themselves from society to study and teach the law. But they also separated themselves from the common people because they considered them religiously unclean. Basically, they're the guys who really know the religious law. Jesus captures the Pharisees' attention by his profound teachings. So they go and they talk to him and they see these wondrous things that he is saying. And they turn around and they ask each other, how is he doing these things? How can he know these things? He must be from the son of God, as he had been claiming. Even so, he wasn't entirely sure if it was true. So in verse one, in the middle of the night, Nicodemus goes and finds Jesus to ask him this question. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. This is a pretty leading question. He's saying that we've seen all of these amazing things that you've done, so you must be from God, right? Jesus responds, as he so often does, with a confusing answer to most of us reading, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. This reminds me of when I try to do math homework with my dad and he sits me down and he's explaining this to me, but I end up leaving being way more confused than before. Although this might say more about my dad as a teacher than me as a student. (laughs) Just kidding, dad. Um, This is how Nicodemus is feeling. Nicodemus expects Jesus to give him a straightforward answer, but Jesus, being Jesus, gives him what Nicodemus thinks is a very vague and confusing answer. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus that you've got it all wrong. You think that you figured me out, but you don't know what it's all about. Yes, he thinks that Jesus is the son of Christ, but he's still feeling doubt. I mean, he came to Jesus in the middle of the night. This is so symbolic because it represents how Nicodemus is spiritually blind. The dark literally represents his doubts about Jesus. It's not like he's comfortable with going and meeting him in public in the daytime. Even though he does address him as rabbi, which means teacher, he still cannot comprehend who and what Jesus is. Just like me doing math with my dad, Nicodemus finds himself with more questions than before. Friends, do we ever find ourselves questioning God? We all do. I know I do. I constantly ask him how I ended up at an all-girls Catholic school when I grew up a tomboy and I'm not exactly Catholic. (laughs) But on a more serious note, I find myself asking God, why is there so much suffering in our world, in our communities, in our families? Questioning faith is normal. So normal, in fact, that God actually wants us to question him. God wants us to know him through our questions. He's inviting us to come to him with our burdens, our guilts, and most importantly, our doubts. This is why the story of Nicodemus is so important. Nicodemus is such a good representation of us. We are just like him. We constantly find ourselves in the same position, questioning God, being in a place of spiritual blindness. Jesus answered Nicodemus's question, but not in a way that he was prepared for. How many times has that happened to us? When we have a very specific question for God and he doesn't seem to answer it in the way that we had hoped. I had a very hard sophomore year I was struggling with a lot of questions of my own. I would ask God most nights why he was doing this to me. I couldn't understand why he was putting me through this. I was turning away my friends, my happiness, and even my faith. 
I thought that I knew the answers to my problems. God, if you just made these friendships work, my life would be so much better. Maybe these questions for you are, why is my marriage failing? Why did my loved one pass away? Why do I feel so down and alone? Why can't I just feel happy and seen? God hears these questions. He knows our pain. God not giving us the answers that we want to hear immediately or at all is not out of indifference, but out of love. I can now look back at that year and realize that if I hadn't lost those friends and gone through that pain, my life wouldn't be what it is now. I would not be me. But I couldn't see that then. And neither could Nicodemus when Jesus answered his question in such a confusing way. Nicodemus goes on to ask Jesus, how can someone be born again when they're old? It's not like you can physically return to the womb and be born again. Jesus responds by saying, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. Pastor Jonathan Romig says that to be born again is for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in you, cleanse you of your sins, and to completely transform you from the inside out through faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that in order to be born again, he has to put aside his doubts, and he is calling us to do the same. This is not a change that we can make on our own. Yes, we can change the habits that distance us from God, but we cannot physically or spiritually change ourselves. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. It doesn't happen right away. The last verse, verse eight, is my favorite part of the whole passage. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it is coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Isn't this such a beautiful verse? Wind is a mysterious thing. You feel its effect, but you cannot physically see it or touch it, let alone control it. It is the same with the spirit. Although you cannot interact with the spirit physically, you can feel his effect. There is an inward change. This change will impact everything that you do. I told you about the bad parts of my sophomore year, but let's skip to the good parts. I was still going to church. I still prayed every night. I still read my Bible, but I felt like there was something missing. I saw there was a service week coming up in Richmond through Third's youth group, and I decided that I would go. That trip changed my life. It showed me that I could not simply go through the motions of being Christian and expect my life to change. I needed to do something. I needed to open that door to the Holy Spirit. On that trip, I did just that. I opened my heart to God. I brought all of my doubts, my burdens, and my pain, and all of those questions that I had been struggling directly to Him. And I began to realize that all of that time, I had been trying to make an outward change when I so desperately needed an inward change. I'm sure most of us can say the same. Do you feel the emptiness that only the Holy Spirit can fill? Even though the Holy Spirit changed my heart, I still feel myself slipping into doubt all the time. That's the hard part of Christianity. Just like Nicodemus, we think that we have everything figured out and then one day we realize that we barely know anything at all. And that's okay. That is God calling. He is calling us to be better. He's calling us to recognize our doubts and bring them to him. Many of us think that we are safe in our Christian lives, just like I did, 
when in truth, we haven't even started them. We are learning how to look like a good church person, but we often miss the purpose of faith. God says in the Old Testament, remember Egypt over 300 times because the Israelites constantly forgot. This shows how God knows us. He understands our doubts and that we forget things. He will always be there to remind us that he will always be here for us. And he know, let us remind us of our presence through the Holy Spirit. Okay, that just didn't make any sense, but... Um, <laughs> it is our job to hear and recognize his voice and to allow him to work through and in us. God calls us through his word, his spirit, and through other people. He's calling you today to open up your hearts and to be born again. How will you answer? Thank you, Camille. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. My name is Caleb. I'm a junior at Atlee High School. I will be preaching on John 3, verses 9 through 18. Just to recap on those verses, Nicodemus asks Jesus how it is possible to be born again through the Spirit. Jesus responds by asking him a couple of challenging questions and talking about the Son of Man. The last few verses are, Jesus, are John's summary of Jesus' purpose. Nicodemus asks Jesus how it is possible to be born again through the Spirit. Jesus' response was to point out Nicodemus' incomplete understanding, especially considering he was a member of the Jewish ruling council and teacher of the law. Jesus was aware that Nicodemus knew the Old Testament well, but he also knew that Nicodemus didn't fully understand what it said about the Messiah. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus that he and the Pharisees are missing the most essential part of their job. I've been a lifeguard for the past two summers, and it's been quite the interesting experience. There are a couple of important things you should be able to do as a lifeguard. These would include the ability to blow a whistle, be patient, and communicate clearly. Oh yeah, and the ability to swim, that one comes in pretty handy. By not understanding spiritual things, Nicodemus and the Pharisees are like a lifeguard that can't swim. They're not understanding the main point. And on a deeper level, they both prevent people from being saved. Then Jesus tells Nicodemus that he speaks of things he knows and testifies to what he has seen. In verse 11, Jesus says that you people do not accept our testimony. In this case, the word testimony also means witness. Nicodemus and the Pharisees do not accept his witness. When Jesus says you people, I think he's also referring to us. We may not be accepting Jesus's witness and therefore missing the main point. Jesus continues by saying he's only spoken of earthly things. And the fact that Nicodemus can't understand that means there's absolutely no chance he's going to understand the heavenly things. Without the spirit, we trust what we have seen but do we trust what is unseen? Jesus is offering Nicodemus to come and see the depth of his fullness that people haven't seen before. Jesus is opening up for people to ask him questions and offering to explain who he truly is. That brings me to the question, third church, are we experiencing the fullness of Christ? The next sentence, Jesus says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the son of man. No one has ever gone into heaven and, and then been able to come back to earth and give a clear teaching about experiencing God, the exception being Jesus. Jesus then uses the analogy of Moses lifting up the bronze snake to show how the Son of Man will be lifted up. This is a reference to Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. This was when, Jesus and Mo or when Moses was in the desert with the Israelites. The Israelites got impatient, as they often did, and they spoke against God and against Moses. They said, 
Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. So the Lord sent venomous snakes to bite the Israelites, and many people died. Once this happened, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he will take the snakes away from us. So Moses did. In accordance with God's instructions, in response to his prayer, Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. That way, whenever someone was bitten, they could look at the bronze snake and be saved. God answered their prayers, even though he did not take the snakes away. Although this is a strange story, I believe in the way the Israelites are supposed to represent us, and the snake is supposed to represent Jesus. When we are bitten by sin, we can look to him and be saved. And everyone that believes in him may have eternal life. Then possibly one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, John 3.16. It answers Nicodemus's question by summarizing what Jesus said. I believe that people gravitate towards this verse because it shows God's love for us. The entire gospel also comes to focus in this verse. God's love reaches out and draws others in. He's saying, come and see his infinite love for you. God paid the highest price he could pay for us. He was willing to sacrifice his one and only son. By doing this, Jesus accepted our punishment, took away our sin, and reached out to us, offering us a new life with him, an opportunity to be born again. Jesus calls us to share the gospel with others and love like Jesus did, willingly giving up our comfort and security so that others can join us in receiving God's love. Given how popular John 3.16 is, verses 17 and 18 are often overlooked, but they are just as important. God didn't send his only son into the world to condemn us. He sent him to save us. In order to be saved, you must believe. It's okay to have doubts, though, because we all do. I thought that I would share a moment that I experienced while I was writing this sermon. I know this might sound a little ridiculous to some people, but this is an example of me experiencing Jesus, not just having the knowledge of him. When I was beginning to write this sermon, I kept getting stuck. I made an outline that made sense in my head, but when I tried to put it on paper, it just wasn't working out. I started to get frustrated and I wanted to stop and put it off writing as long as I could. It was wearing me out and I even fell asleep while trying to write. I was struggling, frustrated, and discouraged. I was also starting to run out of time. As I started to write again, I could feel the spirit working through me as I was typing. This leading of the spirit made it writing a lot easier and it made bits and pieces pop into place. It also put me at ease. As soon as I finished getting my second round of ideas on paper, I got out an old video camera. I don't know why I picked it up, I just did. The video, didn't wor- or video camera didn't work, so I watched a video on how to fix that specific model. The guy that made the video recorded a short segment to show how the camera worked, and he said, Jesus Christ loves you. I was like, that was kind of random, but I, at that point I thought, well, Jesus could not have made that any more clear. <laughs> I also found out a few minutes later that both sets of my grandparents were praying for me independent of each other during that specific time. They were praying that the Spirit would be working through me, and God answered their prayers for me. When we have an encounter with Jesus, what should our response to Jesus' calling be? Even though Jesus was not well thought of by most of the Pharisees, Nicodemus continued to follow him all the way through the crucifixion. He helped Joseph of Arimathea take Jesus' body off the cross and lay it in the tomb. Like Nicodemus, we are all called to follow Jesus. I'm just going to adjust. Okay. Can I take it out? 
uh, if you know my mom and dad, thank them later for my tall jeans. Um, they, both, they both contributed. <laughs> Good morning, church. I'm Camille Murchie, Camille number two. Don't know how I got put there, but I'm Camille number two. Um, I'm a senior at Grove Christian School, and I'm so excited to be sharing the word with you all this morning. Let's just, let's read over it together. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. I love these verses because they so perfectly capture how Jesus's light is driving Nicodemus and us church out of a life of hiding into a life of being seen. A lie the darkness will tell us and has told me is that I'm supposed to hide, that we were created to hide. While the truth of the light is that we were created seen by God and we're never created to hide it we're never created to hide from God. The enemy will try to feed us lies that send us into hiding. Here we've seen, like Caleb and Camille talked about, that Nicodemus has a lot of questions. The enemy's goal is to drive us with our questions into insecurity, and insecurity gives birth to shame, and shame gives birth to hiding. In verses 19 through 20, it says that this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Even from the creation of the world, think about what the enemy did in the Garden of Eden. God, the light of the world, was dwelling with them. He was in community with Adam and Eve. But the darkness first crept in, crept in when the enemy's work derailed our community with God. Jesus asks questions that bring life, but let me tell you, church, the enemy asks questions that bring death. And his questions sent Adam and Eve into hiding. In Genesis 3:1, when he said, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden? Does God really have our back? Does he really know us that well? Does he really know what he's talking about? And what happened after Satan brought forth these insecurities? He opened up Adam and Eve's eyes to shame. And what did they do because of their shame? Adam and Eve went into hiding. They took the questions that they could have brought to the light of the world into hiding with them. When humans love the darkness, it sent them into hiding. It made them want to hide. But even as humans were hiding in darkness, let me tell you the light of the world, he saw them. It's like when you're little, you know, and you think you just have the best hiding spot. I, when I was little, considered myself a pro hide and seeker. So you think you just have this best spot and you're hiding probably behind, you know, a target succulent that's probably this tall and you're as tall as I am, so it's half your size. And of course, you know, just to prove to you that they're looking for you and they're playing hide and seek with you, your parents, what do they say? They say, where are you? Where are you, Camille? So they don't, they don't look at you, they just say, where are you? And so what does God do when Adam and Eve go into hiding to, just to prove that he's still looking for them? He says, where are you? Genesis 3, 9, he says, where are you? <laughs> Even when the prince of darkness had led Adam and Eve to hide, guess what, church? The king of light was coming to tell them that they were seen. Here in this passage, Nicodemus is hiding too. Under the shadow of the night, like Camille talked about, and in the literal darkness, Nicodemus comes to talk to Jesus. But Nicodemus has also been hiding in spiritual darkness, a darkness where any questions would have been viewed as insecurities and where a life of rules and his pharisaical knowledge drove him out of the understanding of a relational God. But Nicodemus is starting to take steps out of hiding. 
just him coming to Jesus shows that he is pursuing answers, church. He is on the journey from hidden to seen. Let me just say one thing from personal experience. Jesus can take your questions. The truth of Jesus will prevail no matter what. So he is not thrown off by, embarrassed by, or interrupted by our questions. Actually, he's the God who embraces us even as we are questioning because it means his children are talking to him. They're seeking a relationship with him. Last year, I went through the hardest spiritual season of my life. I was someone who grew up in this church and strived to be the star student in little lambs, little monkeys, little llamas or koalas or whatever it was at the time. I don't remember all the names. But anyways, my goal was to be just this Christian girl who had the most answers and the most admirable know-it-all faith that there was. But when I saw grief and violence and loss and pain because they're real church, when I saw them hit my family and hit my community like I had never seen it before, I had to ask questions. I had a lot of questions. But like Nicodemus, I had hidden myself under this label, this expectation and this position where Camille Murchie surely was not supposed to have any questions, was not supposed to doubt anything in the realms of faith, in the realms of Christ's love. And you know what? The enemy, he took those questions. And just like he did in the garden, like we talked about, he made me think I should hide my questions and my anxieties from God. Just think about it. Nicodemus doesn't come straight out of the park with a question for Jesus. He starts with a statement. Asking questions is not super comfortable, church. Maybe he was anxious like, G like I was with Jesus to ask him a question. I most definitely was worried about asking Jesus questions. It is only after Nicodemus has begun to be exposed to the light and the truth of Jesus that Nicodemus does ask questions. Nicodemus not only brings his questions to light, but he brings them to the light of the world. And that's what Jesus is saying in verse 21 when he says, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Fear is what has always driven us into the darkness but Christ's truth is what will drive us back into the light church. The truth that God wants to walk with us in our questions, the truth that he's a safe space, the truth that he's, he's kind and he's loving towards his people, the truth that he wants to and will talk with us. One of my favorite verses is in 1 John 4, 18, where it says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Like Jesus tells Nicodemus back in verse 16, God loved this world so much that he gave his one and only son, the son who drives out fear with his perfect love and is not afraid of relationships with imperfect people so that we can have eternal life with the God who sees us, with the God who has called us and is calling us out of hiding. Congregation, the enemy tried to hide that light of the world in the Garden of Eden, but God saw his people. The darkness seemed to win when Jesus hung on that cross, but the light and the truth prevailed when Jesus rose up out of that grave. So often I feel like the evil and fear of this world have won, but the light has come, church, and the darkness will not overcome it. The light has come and he's coming again. As it says in Revelation 22:5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Christ is coming again with the real and unhindered and unblocked light. And we will be reassured that we did not wrestle, we did not question alone when we see that light, friends, when the lamb is our lamp. 
Praise be to the God who has brought us and is bringing us from hidden to seen. Please pray with me. Dear God, I praise you for the ways that you call us out of hiding, Jesus. You don't have to, but you choose to. I thank you so much that you have overcome this world, God. I pray that our hearts would rest in that posture of knowing that we can bring our questions to you. I thank you that you are just the God who receives us as we are, Lord. And I just pray that that would meet um, our hearts this morning, that we would walk differently, that we would see others differently, knowing um, that your light is for them, Lord, um, and that you embrace them. In your great and glorious name, Lord, I pray. Amen.